Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. I've done over 415 of them by now. And if this is new to you and you'd like to watch previous ones, please go to batgap.com and look under the past interviews menu. This program is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. So if you appreciate it and feel like supporting it, either a one-time donation or a monthly one in any amount, it'll be much appreciated. And there's a PayPal button on every page of the site. So my guests today are Carol Griggs and Ted Strauss. Ted was on BatGap many years ago in the very beginning, during the first year, I think, uh, along with his wife, Hillary Davis. And uh, you can find that on BatGap. Um, Carol hasn't been on BatGap yet. I met the two of them out at the Science and Non-Duality Conference either last year or the year before. And they've got something very interesting that they've been working very hard on and developing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but first, I'd like them to introduce themselves a little bit more. I thought it would be more interesting if they just give a bit of an introduction rather than me reading some written thing that they had sent me. So whoever wants to go first, go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'd say Carol, because this is your first time. Okay. <laughs> okay. My name is Carol Griggs. I am an executive leadership coach and work with coaches or where I work with clients to help people live their deepest potential from multiple domains of their being, helping to awaken consciousness within them, as well as awaken their heart, emotional intelligence, and the body, their uniqueness, their personal gifts in this world, and their mind, cognitive intelligence, cognitive expansion, cognitive capacities. I'm a university professor for John F. Kennedy, teaching the evolution of consciousness and human development. And I've been running my own coaching practice for quite some time and also have been working with my colleague here, Ted Strauss, for probably the last two and a half to three years. We met about three years ago and realized that we have a deep commonality of helping people to awaken. And it is our deepest purpose on this planet to help facilitate that process very individually and collectively. And so part of the process for the two of us was to uh, create a model that helps people realize where they are in this process um, and help them locate where they are to accelerate their development and evolutionary process. So Ted and I met and we had this common idea to map the process because we've both been working with clients for decades on this. And so we just started brainstorming and had iterations of different models. And we'll be talking more about that today of what we've, both of our life's work has come to this model as of now that we'll be sharing with you today. Okay. How about you, Ted? Well, um, somewhere when I was really young, I started getting really interested in what the heck is going on here. What's going on with life? What's going on with people? What's going on with why some people seem to be... Um, more advanced in some ways than others. And I, I then started getting onto the idea of awakening consciousness when I was probably around 12 or 13 and started reading spiritual books and <clears throat> started having awakenings just from reading books. And then I started having experiences that told me that I had a lot of work to do in this area. And I started realizing that as far as I could tell, the biggest problem in the entire world 
is the lack of proper support for people to become awake and all of who they are. Because without that, people become sort of disoriented, misaligned with themselves and the world, the universe, we could say, and um, sort of spin in circles. And so it became clear to me that the only way this was going to, that I was going to fulfill what I'm here for is to get as awake as I can be and then help millions, if not billions of others. I had no idea how I was going to do that, of course. At the time, I was um, part of the uh, Transcendental Meditation Movement. I was being a teacher in that. And um, Maharishi had his own world plan. You know, he, and he enacted that world plan, and he helped a lot of people to make a lot of progress, me being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but my own world plan started to take form. <laughs> and it really wasn't until maybe a little after the year 2000 when I started realizing, after a, a series of awakenings, I started realizing that the only way for me to a- accomplish my goal of awakening millions or billions is to do through, so through the internet, through digital, some sort of digital means. Okay. So ever since then, I've been trying to get various kinds of software going and working on things. And after a while, it became like abundantly clear that there wasn't a good model. There was no good map that just explained what it was like, subjectively even, to go through this awakening process, not just awakening consciousness, but awakening your whole being. Mm. So, you know, we're very familiar with Integral, of course. Um, We're very familiar, actually, with a lot of the models out there. In fact, the first half a year or a year, Carol and I were just researching models to understand what we wanted to do with ours. Long story short, I'll just wrap this part up, is we realized we had to do something that was aligned with how we were seeing the process from our experience of working with thousands of students. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. We spent our time, we spent the last couple of years doing that, taking it out. We took it to San. That's where we saw you. We went to San twice. We went to other conferences. We went and met other thought leaders in the world of awakening and human development and in academia, because one of our goals was to make sure that we're integrating with what we're doing, we didn't want this to be just spiritual or just research or academic oriented. We wanted it to be something that would work for everybody because our goal is to really unite everybody who has anything to do with human development, mm-hmm. be it students or teachers or academics or researchers, and bring them all together under one model that describes what's going on so that we can actually create digital media that helps people through the process. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I really like the idea of maps and models. For some reason, that's always fascinated me, Um, and all the more so since I've been doing this show, because it seems like definitions of awakening are all over the map. Um, And, you know, someone says, oh, I had my awakening, and uh, someone says, I've had many awakenings, and others say, oh, I'm totally enlightened, and others say, say, nobody's totally enlightened, everybody's just a long way to go. And, uh, you know, and obviously there's all the ancient traditions written in, foreign languages that have their own maps and models, but I have a feeling that they haven't even begun to be properly integrated with each other mm-hmm. and co- incorporated into our culture. Yeah. And, and that, you know, basically we're kind of at the Lewis and Clark stage of understanding the topography of awakening. Um, and, you know, compared to what we have now where every square foot is, has been charted and, mm-hmm. you know, mapped out uh, in precise detail. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, in the that the realm of spirituality is such that it ever could actually be mapped out with such precision um, using that 
metaphor? Or do you think that there's always going to be too much subjectivity mixed in and too many variables and, and so on to ever really get a clear, scientific, comprehensive, systematic understanding of what human development is in all of its stages and, and mm. facets? Yeah. Great question. Thanks. Thank you for that question, Rick. Great question. I have a PhD in professional coaching and human development. And so a lot of my time was spent um, studying different methodologies, different theories, different processes, and different maps and models that are currently out there. And so one of the things that Ted and I did was basically look at every single map and model, not every single one, but as many as we could find, and lay them kind of all on the table, per se, and put them all together in a way, okay, what, what are the common themes here, and what's missing? And so from a, from a meta perspective, when you take a step back and you take a look at all these pieces, or you take a look at a map, you will start to see patterns. You'll start to see similarities. Um, when you zoom in and you get too gritty and too close, um, you know, there, there, it is a lot more gray. It's fuzzy. Not everybody's process is exactly um, linear. It, I mean, it's, it's just not. Um, but so from one perspective, from the further out perspective, there are definitely some patterns, especially in what we call the first six chapters. There are absolutely patterns that we've seen over time in a bunch of researchers that are really in alignment um, or relatively in alignment. After chapter six through chapter 16 on our model, that's where there's not a whole lot of research has been done. There's a lot of theory. There's a lot of ideas. Um, but that's where our work actually is a little bit cutting edge and, and new because there aren't, there's not much written about it. There's, there's a little bit talked about it. What happens after a consciousness awakening or a heart awakening? Um, what happens after that? And that's where our work is unique and shows a meta perspective process of what that would look like for somebody post stabilized consciousness, heart awakening. And I just want to add something that um, one of the questions you asked there, Rick was, yeah, it is fuzzy. Are we ever going to get to find a sort of a clear way to research and see what's going on? And I think the answer is, well, yeah, like any scientific endeavor, it's a constant sequence of theorizing, testing the theories, changing the theory, testing it again. And part of the problem in this whole thing is that um, it, it's really only been, you know, in any, on any kind of a scale, it's only been since around the mid-90s, since people in general have been having awakenings beyond just consciousness awakening to itself or just heart opening, you know, just something in our chapter seven on the model. It's not like there had, hasn't been happening. It's just like we don't know who they are and we don't know how to find them and we don't even know how to relate using language to see what's going on. So, <clears throat> and there haven't been enough subjects that could be identified to do the testing with to see what's going on. So part of what's going on here is that um, we now have an increasing base of students we've been working with for a long time that can be tested. Mm -hmm. So... As we move along here, the next one of the next steps we're going to be going through is using our system and other scientific, uh, yeah, other scientific ways of going about it to figure out what's going on with these people, not just subjectively, but eventually objectively. For instance, and we have, you know, our, you know, we've adapted uh, the four quadrants from Ken Wilber's system, and we call them our four views, and we renamed them. Subjective, objective, relational, and systemic. On the objective side, one of the things we hope to do, and we'll talk about this in one of our, uh, when we get to talking about our current and future projects, is test brainwaves. 
And just, you know, once we figure out where people are subjectively, let's check their brainwaves and see what's going on and let the deep learning system go in and figure out what the correlations are. As we figure out the correlations, <clears throat> we can then figure out, well, what were they, what words were they using subjectively? Mm -hmm. And then we can start making the subjective objective correlations. Mm -hmm. So that's going to take some time, but yeah, we're getting there. I think it'll, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's a never ending investigation and science itself has been going on for several hundred years and I'm sure there's no end to what it will discover even though at times people have pronounced that everything pretty much has been discovered uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, can I say something on that yeah sure um you know there's some ways in which the spiritual culture at large especially the spiritual culture inherited from the east has tended to have teachers say things like I promise this is the highest realization that's possible. Mm -hmm. And um, Carol and I, at least the two of us, tend to get a little nauseous when we hear stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. In fact, I've, <laughs> been, is... I've been, I keep a little bucket next to my desk. <laughs> <laughs> so this is exactly why we put chapter 16 on our model. Yeah. Chapter 16 um, basically memorializes the unknown on the model. Yeah. It says... We're never going to know what the edge is because there ain't no edge. There, you know, I wrote a book at one time called Your Endless Awakenings because that's what I felt about it. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that. Good. Um, and incidentally, when you use the word chapter, uh, it means like stage of development. It doesn't mean yes. like a chap chapter in a book or something. Uh, yeah. We specifically yeah. wanted to use some new words because mm -hmm. otherwise people will assume we're meaning the same thing that other me people mean when they use those words like yeah. stage. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I was recently sort of chatting back and forth uh, with a Neo-Advaita kind of guy who's sort of in the Tony Parsons, Richard Sylvester uh, school of thinking. And, um, and he was going on about how um, there are no levels, there is no progress, you know, there is no, the world is just a story and, you know, there's only this now and that kind of stuff. And that there is, you know, in the non-dual communication, it's absurd to talk that way. And mm -hmm. I was kind of responding to say that, there's no such thing as non-dual communication. If it's completely non-dual, then there's no people, no individualities, no communication. Once you have some in communication, then there's this and that, me and you, and we're going back and forth. And the whole relative universe comes in, and there are levels and qualities and stages and degrees of development <laughs> and so on. And there's a lot of people who, not a lot, hopefully, but many who, who sort of, I, I think, kind of intellectualize themselves into this understanding of what non-duality is and mistake that for the actual living reality of it, the living experience of it. Uh, Ted's rolling his eyes as if to say, don't I know it? So <laughs> I have so much to say about this. Yeah. I'll let you do that. So it, I see it as kind of a pitfall that, that people do that and it's unfortunate and it's frustrating. Um, but anyway, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, there's a huge difference between, theoretical ideas about non-duality and the living of it in actuality. Yeah. The living of it doesn't mean the distinctions go away. And that's what I think really trips people up. The living of non-duality means that um, things are obviously simultaneously individual, unique, and non-dual, part of the whole spectrum of being, at the same time. <clears throat> and the only reason there appears to be any paradox about that is because of the stage of development we're at. Mm -hmm. So when you're at a certain stage of development, 
you can only see the world the way you're capable of seeing the world. That's, that's it. Probably, right? That's probably true of every stage. Of that's true of every Absolutely. stage. And yeah. one of those stages is the stage chapter seven, where you awaken as consciousness. And if, you ha- if you're one of these people who have like a high contrast, major shift of identification from, let's say, mind into consciousness, and suddenly it seems like, oh, my God, this is the one true only reality, and this is m- what they must have meant about non-duality. I think what we're trying to do is put that in a larger context. It's a true statement at Chapter 7, but it's not a true statement at Chapter 13. Mm-hmm. Now it's a completely different perception of the world. So I think it's really important for people to understand that even though, yes, in any moment you can flip into some state or even a stabilized stage of realization of the infinite, it doesn't mean that's all there is, mm-hmm. nor does it mean that it's even possible for that to be somehow split from the rest of the world, because it's not. It's not split from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It's part of the world. The whole thing is one thing. Being is one thing. It's all about our perception of parts or of wholes. And that's really one way of describing the entire process. The process starts with we can only see parts. And the more parts we see, the more we're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I think I've got all the pieces, but no. And then more come in. And then you wake in consciousness. And then you realize, oh, my God, I, I actually have a body. And I actually have a heart. Yeah. I actually have a mind. And I actually am unique from other people. This and I actually have it. an eye. Exactly. I have a personal self here. That's a big hang-up sometimes. Uh-huh. Boy, yeah. we could talk about that for an hour. Yeah. The whole, you know, getting rid of the ego thing. Which yeah, there, I, there is no me and you know, no sense yeah. of personal self. But, hey, you just upset me with what you said. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, um, when people feel like there is no personal self, it's because they're at that stage where they're so enamored with the impersonal self and they still haven't quite realized how to integrate those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the process of integration is well known, even in ancient traditions. Mm-hmm. It's just that it isn't well articulated in the West because people haven't been able to figure out what all these different awakenings are about. And that's yeah. why the model. And yeah, and that's where our model comes into play in terms of actually, you know, taking this awakening to consciousness is not just the whole, um, but, but all these other parts and pieces and being able to show this in a meta perspective where people can really start to grok um, all these elements um, rather than zoning in and getting stuck in cul-de-sacs of just one part of my being and um, avoiding other parts. So trying to broaden out of partialness and, and really deeper more into integration and wholeness. Yeah. And I've noted that the spiritual community at large has kind of begun to grok this over the re- over recent years. You know, whereas a decade ago, a lot of people might have just been sort of trying to ha- hide out in the, in the transcendent or the absolute or something. Mm-hmm. Everybody's yeah. talking about integration and awakening and yes. integration now and, and embodiment um, because they have had to, you know, yeah. because, because life doesn't sort of leave you alone. No, it doesn't. That's a beautiful way to put it. You know, a lot of people have had consciousness awakenings. You know, 10 years ago, it was all about just wanting to have a consciousness awakening, consciousness waking up to itself. And now that there's a, you know, big chunk of people that have have experienced that, it's, it's, okay, what happens after that? You know, what is that integration process like? And what does it mean to deeply embody consciousness throughout the entire system? So that's, um, you know, those, those upper stages, per se, after an original stabilized awakening, um, is definitely more online for a lot of people right now. And people are, there's a lot of curiosity around that, which is where our model kind of maps out that process a little bit clearer. And I just want to add that um, 
Yeah, we're right on the edge of this major shift from that kind of split way of looking at uh, the human development process. And our course that we developed and uh, have given already twice to the uh, master's program in the Consciousness and Transformative Studies Department at JFK. As soon as we sat down to start designing that course, it became immediately obvious what was going on because they have a consciousness development thing and a transformative personal development thing. But we're, we put them together. The department is about bringing them together, but they didn't have a course that truly brought them together. So our mm-hmm. course brought it together. And we're, the course shows students the history of human development understandings in the light of our model. Mm-hmm. Because the model is great at categorizing stuff. The model is great at categorizing. For instance, if you go on our website at iconscious.global and go under about research. Well, you're you're going to do a screen share, aren't you, at some point? During this oh, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, sure, we could do that. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be right now, but at some point we should have you do that and kind of walk us through some of these sure. charts and things you've developed. Um, but basically those charts are showing how researchers in the past, how much they have attended to which of the five domains that we say are very primary in our model. Yeah. Some of them focused on consciousness, some of them focused on emotion, some of them focused on like Fowler on faith or you know, Lovinger on ego and stuff like that. Um, So what we're trying to do is specifically show people what it means to be integrated. That's part of our major mission. Mm -hmm. Because, and one of the reasons that we are so focused on integration is integration is what helps expedite one's growth and development, their process. What happens, a pattern that both Ted and I have seen over and over again is um, when when there's a huge gap between one's, consciousness awakening and their development in consciousness and say one's heart uh, emotional intelligence or what we call the emotions domain and if if there's a really big gap in development it causes a lot of in, um it causes a lot of um a lot of issues in terms of um i mean ethics morals um if you hang out more in one and the other it's kind of what we call the rubber band effect and it kind of pulls back development in other areas because you always get pulled back into your lowest common denominator, uh, which is why we love to emphasize, you know, finding where you are in this model so you can start to see where, where the gaps are in one's development. Are you overemphasizing in body? Are you overemphasizing in consciousness and neglecting uniqueness or neglecting emotional intelligence? You know, what is that gap? Um, and that is one of the primary um, pieces of importance when it comes to integration is because it will slow one's process. Um, when there is when there is a larger gap. And I just want to add to that, that more recently, as I've been contemplating this, it, it's really hitting, hitting me the staggering impact of that very statement. The statement that, do, that going about your awakening process in an integrated way, it seems to accelerate your process in a huge manner, like immensely. But that just seems that way because... Um, we don't realize it yet, but up until this point, we haven't had very good understandings of what's going on because of the lack of a clear model. So it's almost as if, you know, you're, you're in a huge city you've never been in before. You don't have your GPS. You don't have a physical map. And you're expected to get to the other side of the town, of town in an hour. It's like, yeah. what? So <laughs> suddenly, if you just like look at your map, it's like, oh, I just drive over there and you get there in 20 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. In other words, people have been wandering around <clears throat> sort of in circles for lifetimes, lifetimes. 
suddenly they look at the map and they go, oh, I see where I am. And then they start awakening right away. Like within months, they have major awakening experiences. And this is one of the great things we want to emphasize. It's like when you get where you are and you get where you're going and you can see how to get there, it's not a problem. So anyway. Yeah. So I just want to comment on the rubber band point you made. Um, you know, I've often thought about this over the years and Ted as an old TM teacher will remember, you know, Marishi talking about that there's this tight correlation between the growth of Samadhi and the growth of all the other values that Patanjali outlined and so on that uh, you can, you know, your, your level of consciousness will be sort of directly linked to your behavior and your ethical qualities and all that other stuff. And um, it just didn't seem to work out that way over the years for most people. Um, mm. And it's, it's like, you know, if you, and so I've always wondered, well, is, is the correlation tight or is it like a big stretchy rubber band where the mm. tendency for development in one area to pull the others along, but it can really stretch a lot before it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's like if you take a table leg example, you pull one leg of the table, all the other legs are going to come along. But what if one of the other leg, legs is like anchored down? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be able to move the table very exactly. well. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly. And we, and that, yeah. Well, could I just quickly say yeah, Maharishi but, used to say, go for the highest first. There was this idea Right. That if you awoke your con- if you awakened in consciousness, everything else would just sort of come along. Like that's still you. Yeah, just about. water the root of the tree, and all the leaves will flourish. <laughs> right. Simple. Well, the answer okay. is not really. Yeah, it's not no. really. <laughs> and I would say, and you know, when consciousness is um, awakened to itself as itself, the the capacity to um, to dip into other areas, like maybe some shadow areas there's a larger space that can hold it. So um, there is an advantage, if you will, to giving like concerted attention to consciousness awakening so that that container can be a lot larger, less confining, uh, more capacities come online to deal with what's actually here on the personal side of things. So that is one of the pieces I would actually add. Yeah, so you get all kinds of extra credit for awakening and consciousness. <laughs> but it's not enough by itself. That's all we're saying. Yeah, no, your but container but, is bigger. It can hold a lot more. It can yeah. hold a lot you can, of you can deal with the stuff that's coming up because yeah. it doesn't threaten your sense of self exactly. if your sense of self is imperishable. Exactly. Yeah. Well put. I mean, I often use the example of trying to dissolve some mud in a glass of water or throwing it into a, a big ocean or lake or something. It's, there you go. It's like right. b- bigger capacity. It dissolves the mud much more Absolutely. Easily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, let me, let me, yeah, go ahead. there's one other point I wanted to get in here. And that is that the idea of awakening consciousness, again, really came from the East along, but the idea of awakening, let's say the heart, East and West idea of awakening, let's say the body or sexual awakenings or other forms of awakenings that might include, wow, I totally get exactly who I am and what I'm here to be and do. That's a kind of an awakening in the uniqueness department. Um, The thing is that one can, based on your particular uniqueness, based on your personal design, based on what's your, you know, how you're designed to realize what's going on here, people can realize the infinite in different kinds of ways. It's not all the same. That's really important to say that. And that's one of the things that we clearly made a um, distinction. a discrimination about when we were designing our guided self-assessment test, which we'll talk more about. But the test basically does not assume that you're realizing the infinite 
on the level of consciousness only. You could realize it in your emotional life. You could realize it in your body. You could realize it on all these different domains. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that awakening isn't just apparently in consciousness. So yeah. if you're realizing the infinite in your, in your emotional life or in your body, how would that feel? How, how would that be experienced? You know, it's, it's consciousness is kind of the classic one, you know, mm-hmm. um, and there's a heart awakening and, and a gut awakening, and they actually feel very different. It's kind of like a diamond, and they're, they're all awakenings in vast spaciousness in some capacity, um, but just a different different facet of the diamond. So a harder and emotional awakening is often like this um, in loveness with everything and in, 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 in intimacy with all things. Um, which is very different than, than a consciousness awakening and different than a, than a gut awakening. So there are different mm-hmm. kinds of awakenings, which mm-hmm. we actually emphasize on our model that it's not just, Oh, I've had an awakening and that's it. Um, that there are actually, you can have a significant shift in each of the five domains, which we'll get into in a minute, which is consciousness, uniqueness, uh, motion, mind, and body. Each one of those have a, a distinct type or flavor of awakening that takes place. Yeah. People, for instance, awakening in the body, it's kind of, kind of more of a Zen awakening in the Hara or something like that, you know, where this huge uh, empty space, just emptiness opens up. Mm-hmm. And that's experientially quite different from like a head-based consciousness awakening. And all are equally valued, valid. They're just different. And people also use different words to describe them, which is another part of the whole confounding issue about understanding the crossovers between all these different schools. So I don't know if you can answer this question, but um, I can see clearly how people on, at various stages of the path would be having all kinds of different flavors and types of experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say you, you got some of the biggies in a room together, you know, Jesus and Buddha and Ra- Ramana Maharshi and all these characters. And if you could somehow step inside their perspective, each of them, you think that then finally at the pinnacle of human development, if that's where they were at, everything would sort of be the same kind of experience because we're talking about attunement to reality itself, ultimate reality, as opposed to some subjective flavor of it. Or do you think that even then, given the different nervous systems and backgrounds and cultures and so on, there would be quite different qualities to their subjective experiences? There will be different qualities. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that there will be qualities. However, there are common markers. And by the way, let's remember there is no pinnacle. There's just as far as we can see. And as far as we can see right now, at the top of our model, there's this whole structure. You know, we've got our major three structures, dual, unified, singular. Mm-hmm. So the awakening of consciousness in sort of classical terms falls under the dual category because usually people awaken to consciousness separately or in its own realm mm-hmm. and haven't integrated enough to fully land in the whole thing that's here. And that kind of goes when, back to what we were talking about earlier of consciousness is just, it's everything is consciousness. You know, the Advaita, like it's just this, it's nothing else. That's right. kind of the classic. It's it's dual. It's it's just right. this, and it's not it's not the relative. It's not that. And Which is why we don't call it non-duality. Yeah. Right, but in a more <laughs> mature state, then even the relative is also seen as that. So there yes. really is only one. Thing. Absolutely, and yeah. that's what's exactly. that's one of the markers in common. When you cross into the singular phase, the subject-object perspective that characterized our entire lives up to that point, even our awakened life in the unified phase or our awakened life since awakening consciousness, mm. there's still 
this fundamental I and thou, you know, me and others, that we don't even really know what that is until we're out of it. There's no way to know what that is until you're out of it. But when you get beyond that point, you can look back and say, oh my gosh, that was even in my, you know, years worth of deeply awakened place, Mm -hmm. there was still that thing going on. And after that went away, there's just, yeah, there's, it's not exactly no self because this thing is still here. It's both self and no self without any boundary whatsoever or any conceivable way to be in that illusion of separation. Okay. So you have a whole system you've developed and a whole body of knowledge and we want to convey to people as best we can in the, in the time we have during this interview what that whole thing is about. And towards the end, we can talk about, well, how can you actually take advantage of this and you know, get involved and you know, benefit from, what you, from your work? So what would be the best, most coherent way of just laying the whole picture out for us, all these chapters and anything yeah. else you want to say? And naturally, I'll be throwing in questions. And we'll bounce it yeah. back and forth. But yeah. how would you like to proceed? Yeah, well, let me share my screen and show you the model. Okay. And uh, actually, let me make this uh, take over the screen. Is that you seeing that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So when you go to our website and you go to uh, model, you'll see model intro and interactive model. So if you hit interactive model, it takes you And here. your website, obviously, one can see there is iconscious.global. Right. Okay. So this is the first view of it. And <clears throat> the reason it's so small at this view is because uh, this is the only way – it's just shaped that way. It's the only way you could see the whole thing. Yeah. But over there. here, we can zoom in. Mm-hmm. And um, you can click and hold and then drag it so that up, down, sideways, whatever, so that you can see. see all these different headers. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just quickly go through the headers. At the top, as we mentioned before, there are these three major phases, dual, unified, and singular. And what this refers to is fundamentally different ways of relating to self, others, and world. That's one way to say it. In fact, we could just look at these headers right now. Dual says life and self are experienced as partial, fractured, confining, and disconnected. Hmm. You know, we put all those words in there because people use different kinds of words. But one way or another is there's this fundamental sense that there's more, and I'm not seeing the whole picture, and I'm not getting all parts of myself. And this Something is where 90-some-odd percent of the world resides, is in this dual phase. And actually, probably between stages three and four, or chapters three and four in our system, the majority of at least North America is within chapters three or four. Those that are probably listening to this podcast or this you know, YouTube are you know, likely a little bit further along if you find yourself interested in this, but just in general, that's kind of the statistics. Yeah. And by the way, those statistics come from research done by Spiral Dynamics, right? Yeah. Spiral Dynamics and other, other resources yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we've got the unified stage. So in order to get to unified, which is basically a fundamental realization of the unity of all things, but it's not the full embodied living of that realization. It's just the recognition of it on a kind of like on the, on the most deep level you cross this boundary where suddenly it's like, oh, those parts of myself that I was previously rejecting or not fully embracing in myself, they're all part of me anyway. Why bother rejecting them? And, that, and as you go through that, you land in this place where you realize everything is one. But then as you said earlier, Rick, which I love, 
the universe um, doesn't, doesn't li- the life doesn't leave you alone. Life doesn't leave you alone. So <laughs> the way I would say that is being keeps poking you in the places where you need to grow. Yeah. So being will keep poking you. And what will happen is, yeah, you realize this here in embodied unity, but you still got to, that force is an immense transformation. And that transformation is one that basically aligns your realization with your whole being reality, your actions, your belief systems, everything about you and how you were previously programmed has Mm -hmm. to become, has to be updated according to the realization of unity. It's like all the ways we dealt with people as separate entities and everything, for instance, like they're not separate entities. They're parts of ourselves, just like everything is part of ourselves. Anyway, I could rant for And just to go back a slight bit too, if you look at chapter seven, that's the kind of the classic consciousness waking up to itself. Um, and so when you, a lot of people talk about awakening, uh, they're typically talking about chapter seven, um, and, or, yeah, and consciousness, and that's a stabilized awakening, which is different than having a state. People can have state experiences when they go on retreat, but then when they come back 10 days later, it's like, got it, lost it, got it, lost it, not quite there. Chapter seven is really a stabilized awakening experience, which then moves into chapter eight, which is an oscillation, which is that got it, lost it. Oh, everything is whole and complete and everything is consciousness to, oh my God, I'm just this, this confined small self. And there's that back and forth until they- Wait a minute. Why would a stabilized awakening be, come before an oscillating stage? Because when you're, you can be stabilized in realization, for instance, of the infinite, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that um, your sense of self is all there. Your sense of self is what's oscillating, and it's oscillating right. between your, some people would say the divine or imperishable or infinite self, and your personal self. That's the kind of oscillations that go on. But so if, you're, like, if you're stabilized as the infinite, isn't that yeah, partial? But it's Some, partial. Yeah, it's it's partial. That, but it's partial. And uh, so chapter nine is really coming back for the whole. You know, chapter nine is consciousness really lands in the system in a way where it's the absolute and relative are all, it's, it's simultaneous. It's all right here, all those parts and mm-hmm. pieces, and it's not an or anymore, okay. which is why right. so, until chapter nine that we actually have it in the unified phase um, because in seven and eight, there's still a, a back and forth dual movement from one to the other. And I, I just want to add that some people, you know, occasionally somebody will land so heavily in the consciousness domain and be so fully identified with that, that from their perspective, the rest of this development looks like sort of adding the rest of the domains gradually back in and, into the same fold and into eventually the realized unity of all those things. I think that brings up a good point, which is that I suspect that, you know, not everyone is going to sort of move through these stages in a predictable linear fashion, but that there's going to be all sorts of, um, you know, variations according to the individual makeup. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's kind of a, there can be an oscillation back and forth, but when you step way back from the meta perspective, you Mm -hmm. will see a continuous thread that does appear a little more linear. You won't go from a stabilized chapter three to a stabilized chapter six to a stabilized chapter four. It won't, it won't look like that. You might have states. So you'll have tastes of things, but they won't won't be, right. The stabilized ones are pretty much going to go in order. Exactly. So we call it your center of gravity. So if your center of gravity is in, say, chapter five, you may have a state in chapter nine. 
um, but you'll come right back to chapter, you know, five or whatever. And mm -hmm. under high amounts of stress, um, you may find yourself experiencing states of say chapter two. Yeah. Um, but there is typically a center of gravity, which is your, your, your daily place of operation. Mm -hmm. Also, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I want to add that one of the things that can, that can confound the appearance of the even meta perspective of, you know, general linearity <clears throat> is the way that people are uniquely designed. So for instance, if somebody is uniquely designed to be like the world's most amazing guru about consciousness, they will appear to, they may appear to have that before others generally do. And that's just because that's who they are. Some people might be specifically designed to be like a, an incredible uh, embodiment of love. And so when, when they look back at the model, they might say, yeah, I got these emotional pieces first. You know, and that's why we've got all these domains over here that you could like follow one of these domains all the way across and watch the evolution mm -hmm. of our, our relationship with our emotions. Yeah, I mean, you had and, somebody like Mother Teresa who was this great, yeah, right. compassionate saint and you could just see it in her face. But she really kind of bemoaned her lack of actual mystical insight and she was mm. plagued by doubts and all kinds of stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff. So, you know, people are going to, their strengths will show up and show them leading in their development in general. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then we go from, you know, after the unified, we go into this transforming stage, which is, you know, it's easy to mistake this for, <coughs> excuse me. It's easy to mistake this for all kinds of things that can happen prior to this. But what we mean by this transforming chapter in our model is, <clears throat> let's see, how do we put it? Core duality-based conditioning surfaces for healing, which is kind of how I described it. In other words, we're programmed to operate in a world of apparent separateness. But that comes up for healing, and everything about how we operate comes up for a complete healing in the light of the realized unity mm -hmm. of being. Okay, and so let me just ask a question to, to have you elaborate on that. So yeah. are you saying that once a certain level of realization has taken place, unity you call it, um, that a lot of buried stuff isn't going to be able to hide anymore? It's going to Absolutely. Have, yeah, exactly. it's going to have to bubble up and, and be processed. Yeah, Rick, it's, 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 I like to call it the flashlight effect. You know, it's like as consciousness comes deeply down into the body, it's like a flashlight yeah. coming down through every nook and cranny. And any stuck duality, if you will, or any stuck anything is going to, it's going to have a flashlight shown on it to come up and be, you know, loved and, and accepted in this, you know, unified space. Um, and so there is a cleaning out, if you will. Yeah. The waking and, down used to call that the wake, wake down, shake down. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And I just want to point out that no, people aren't going to have to go through that. They're just going to be constantly prompted. And if they ignore the prompts, They'll just be more. It just hurts. It's just, it's, it will be uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah. They'll just get more and more uncomfortable until they're poked onto the next level. Yeah. And the next level is after you've gone through enough transformation, let's say at least 80% approximately, it's as if you've been hacking your way through a jungle for like your whole life and suddenly you're in a clearing. And it's like, wow, you mean I don't have to spend my whole life healing myself? or getting all my parts integrated, or, you know, doing more spiritual work. 
And this is the place where actually people who have been identified as spiritual seekers for their whole lives often have a hard time letting go. Like they're so identified as a seeker who's always got to be doing all these things. So once you get up to this place, that starts to slowly evaporate. You get to this place where it's like, oh, I'm just who I am. I don't have to be a spiritual person. I'm just a person. Everybody's spiritual because this is part of the universe. So, and this is clearly, by the way, shown on ancient maps and models like the Zen ox herding pictures where you get to a certain place where it doesn't matter. You just go back to market. You do your thing. Yeah. Right? What would you say about somebody like me who went through years and years of just yearning, craving, enlightenment or bust, you know, kind of feeling. And then somehow or other that just dropped off and I, you know, everything's flowing along smoothly, but I still am completely enthusiastic about this stuff. And, and it's all I really want to think about and focus on. Well, it's more, it's turned from a, a, a desperate quest into kind of a, right. an, advent, an adventure and an exploration. Kind right, of thing. Exactly. So, you know, that generally sounds like up in here where it's like, okay, you're doing your thing. It's like, you know, the universe says, figure out who you are now instead of everything you're trying to be. Yeah. <laughs> Just figure out who you are. And eventually the universe says, okay, go do it. <laughs> and you're forced to go do it. And yeah. that's where you are, right? And, like, and that's the beautiful thing about the transforming stage is that it, any, any energetic poles to go do and be something other than what you really are is once that's cleared up, then you really get to this individuated place we, we, we call fundamentally untangled and liberated into being what you are here to be in a very much more clean, succinct, um, not many hiccups and pushes and pulls to yank you out of, out of, out of uh, alignment or where you're headed. And it's, it's something that I think everybody wants. Everybody feels this pull to like, who am I? What am I here to do or be? I hear it all the time. Everybody's got to find their own way into that. And sometimes people will find their way into that prior you know into at least pieces of that prior to major consciousness awakenings you know in the consciousness consciousness domain some people just like they're born and when they're two they figure out who they are and they go do it <laughs> not quite but you know i've seen people like that harry elto is kind of like that but that doesn't that still doesn't mean they're living their full potential it right. still doesn't mean they're living in a unified stabilized unified phase or anything beyond that it just means they figured out that domain and they're brilliant at that. Yeah. In fact, people might wonder what all these horizontal rows are and then vertical cells beneath each column. I presume that refers to sort of different major aspects of development, such as emotional and yeah. body. There you go. Uniqueness, yeah. emotions, mind, body. And then, and then you say something about each of those four things or unconsciousness, each of those five things at each of these chapters. or right. Exactly. In fact, this is all very vertically aligned. Yeah. If you read across in survival, everything about what survival is about applies to everything, et cetera. The themes apply vertically. Right. And it allows for, say, somebody to be in chapter six consciousness, but chapter two uniqueness, chapter four emotions. Right. It, it allows for people. I see. So it doesn't just march across. No, like, no, right. it could be all. all mixed up underneath. No, right. for instance, like if you've spent 20 years, you know, out on the mountaintop and, you know, focusing on a consciousness awakening, emotions may be in chapter two. That's where um, the discrepancies can be seen on this model. Right. Um, it can help people yeah. start to integrate a little more whole. Yeah, it kind of ex helps to explain the behavior of some famous gurus. Yeah, yes, that's true. thank you for saying that's that. That's true. <laughs>
<laughs> that way we didn't have to say that. <laughs> right. Well, people are one, people wonder that and it, it's a real head scratcher. It disillusions yeah. people. It confuses people. Exactly. They awesome. wonder how can this guy be so awesome and yet be doing this? This you know? is exactly. exactly why this would be why. So yeah. in fact, that's, a, that's one of our major motivations for creating this model the way we did. Mm-hmm. You want to show them exactly, you know, when you, when you take the guided self-assessment, it basically asks a long series of questions that help you understand where you are in the model. And the result of that will often show that people are not very integrated. <clears throat> in fact, one of the results of the, um, oh, this is a little messy. I don't have a nice version of it handy, but I think uh, I could get to it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll show you the results screen that you get after taking the guided self-assessment. And uh, you'll see what it looks like when we actually have these um, different domains of development uh, not very well integrated. And while you're looking for that, you know, the, so the guided self-assessment is about, it takes about 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. within 15 minutes, it'll show you uh, results. So this would be an example of the results of, you know, where you are in consciousness, where you are in uniqueness, emotions, mind, and body. So in this example, this individual um, is kind of in their center of gravity for consciousness is in chapter seven. Their uniqueness is in four. Emotions and emotional intelligence is in three. Mind is in nine and body is in three. So it gives them a real understanding of where they are in, in the in the bigger perspective. And then we provide a series of resources to help them evolve from where they are to that next um, field, if you will. So for say emotions, if they're in chapter three emotions, if they go onto the treasury page, which our model is interactive, you could click on chapter three emotions and there'll be a whole series of treasury of resources, the audios, videos, practices specific for that domain at that level of development because you know one of the myths is that sure here's a here's a meditation practice and it's going to help everybody um but really it uh, there are practices that are more appropriate for certain people at certain levels of development than in others and for certain um aspects of one being so um there may be certain practices are more body oriented some that are more emotion oriented and if you're you know if you're if you lean more towards consciousness, you know, there may be some practices that are, you're unaware of to help with the emotion to help evolve that. Um, so the treasury of resources really gives you a plethora of information and practices and practical tools and forums and things like that to access um, uh, different things to help in that developmental region. Let me just yeah. also um, that uh, I just want to point out that mm-hmm. at the bottom of the results, we've got these three metrics here that result from the test. First one is integration percent. And I, by the way, this one is not an actual result and the numbers may not actually work, but it was just sort of my idea to have represent where I was about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll see this integration number. Basically, if all of these domains, even if they were you know down in chapter three, but if they were all at exactly the same place, you'd get 100% integration. I see. So that's what that means. Center of gravity means we're taking an average between these scores of all the five domains. That tells you, on average, where your development is. And then there's potential realized. And the potential realized basically takes all of these scores, adds them up, and compares them with what, would have, what you would have gotten if you had been, like, in 15 on all the domains. Mm. And so, you know, you could have, you know, you could have some serious progress in one or more domains, but then your potential realized could still be low because you're just so focusing in one area. Yeah. I mean, you could have like an Einstein who's maybe exactly. all, all the way across the board on the mind. Exactly. Yeah. 
And we see that actually, Rick, we see that a lot in the West, you know, mm-hmm. that the mind does tend to be the overdeveloped element and consciousness is typically pretty low unless you've been in mm-hmm. meditation practices and emotional intelligence tends to be, you know, pretty low as well. Um, so there are, there are common themes that we're seeing in the West versus the East and, you know, um, so yeah, that, the, the model or the GSA, the guided self-assessment helps people realize where they are in particular and where they could probably use a little more support. Mm. In, in fact, I don't know if this is a good time, Rick, but, uh, I could uh, demonstrate what the, uh, treasury resources look like. Sure. Why not? Okay, so let's say you've um, taken the GSA, you've gotten your scores. <laughs> G- GSA means? Guided self-assessment. Guided okay. self-assessment. And so you got your results, and now you want to say, like, what do I do with that? Now what? Well, the answer is you go to the model, and let's say you need some help in consciousness. So we'll say, let's say you're in Chapter 6, Consciousness. So you click on that, and uh, up will spring, hopefully, if it's all working right, the, uh, yeah, the resource page. So basically here it says, or oh, we're in chapter six, we're in consciousness. And these are the resources that are available. And wow. each of these resources, this is just here for demo right now. We don't have them all installed yet. Yeah. But um, basically there'll be a series of slides and you can basically click on the right or click on the left and just go through hundreds of these things maybe hmm. in some of these to get like, here's just the description and views of what this will be about. And here we talk about the needs and the challenges that are happening at that place just for that domain at that stage. There's quotes and examples and cartoons and images and videos and stuff down here in quotes and examples. So that when you read these things and you start to understand where they are in the model, it starts changing your perspective. Suddenly you can hear that quote or hear that or see that example and understand the meaning in a bigger context. Yeah. Just to give you an idea too, if you're in using this example, if you're in chapter six consciousness Typically, you can look at chapter five in the description and say, okay, yeah, I, I remember being there. You know, you could really land and, okay, two years ago, I can, ex- I, I remember that. Um, and you could potentially look at chapter seven and say, okay, I can, I can taste that and I can sometimes lean into that, but I'm not quite there yet. So there's often that feeling of, okay, yep, this is, this is where I am, especially after reading the descriptions and views, the challenges and um, all the practices and what here. Okay. And everything that Ted is showing us here now, this is something that becomes apparent once you um, sign yeah, up for the that's thing. right. Once, once, you can take the guided self-assessment by itself. Uh-huh. But after that, if you sign up for the treasury resources, it's called the, just the iConscious Treasury, you'll get access to these like 400 slideshows. Okay. So what we're seeing right now then is at a, the particular stage that um, you wanted to show us, Gina Lake and Adyashanti right. and exactly. Byron Katie and Jeff Foster might be good teachers to look at. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there are examples of people that um, tend to focus specifically in that domain or they have a lot of their teachings um, are focused in that domain or that chapter of development. There are some mm-hmm. teachers that really focus in the earlier stages, some on unified and embodiment and others on singular. And so we we were actually starting to dump in some of these teachers that people can find their retreats, their books, their audios and videos that are supporting yeah. their process where they are in their development at this time. And some of these teachers have a huge range in which, you know, like Adi Ashanti has a huge range. So he might show up in a whole bunch of these different boxes. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. And then we've got this forum thing. So when you mm-hmm. hit the forum tab and then you go over here and click this, you'll get into the actual forum for that chapter 
We uh-huh. didn't want to have 400 forums. So I got 16 of them, one for each chapter. So if you I hit see. that from with any one of the um, domain resources, mm-hmm. you'll come to the same place where everybody who's at a similar place in their development can chat. And I think that's, in my experience, an extremely important thing for people to do. Yeah. But, you know, I just wanted to show how, you know, what's going on with the treasury. You know, the treasury isn't complete right now. It'll be done in approximately a month. And we'll, Mm -hmm. you know, if people sign up for a free account, which will have a prominent button on our website in the top right corner on the sidebar, um, then as soon as this is ready, we'll just email you and you can go and check it out. Okay. The guidance Um, on assessment is available, though. It's live. So if anybody wants to take the guided self-assessment, they can go to iConscious.global and um, they can take the test. Again, it's probably about anywhere between, I don't know, 30 and 100 questions and shouldn't take more than about 15 minutes or so. You have to pay Um, or anything to do that? that... 15 bucks, yep. And then we'll email um, the results. And then once you get the results, they, um, you, can, you can take a post-GSA and kind of have an interpretation and a walkthrough of what, does my, what do my results mean. Yeah. Um, and then within probably about a month, we should have the treasury of resources all up and running where people can subscribe and um, have access to all the resources that we'll have. Okay. Yeah. Great. In terms of you guys, do you claim to have personally traversed this whole range of possibilities that you've outlined here, or uh, would you rate yourself as having, you know, degrees of development in each of these areas and being it ne- not necessarily the, the final chapter and, you know, your, your works and you, you yourselves are works in progress that are still kind of exploring all this. And to a certain mm-hmm. extent, mm-hmm. a lot of what you've mapped out here is theoretical, even for you. Mm-hmm. Great question. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a TM teacher, I, when people would say, are you enlightened? Right. Um, I was trained to say, well, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you said you are, then people would say, well, this, you're a bit of a jerk. I mean, that's enlightenment. And if yeah. you said you aren't, then they'd think, well, he's been meditating all these years. He's not enlightened. How, how effective this is. So we were taught to sort of duck that question. Yeah, which, by the way, and I'm, I'm not ducking the question, but I do want to say that um, – I think that especially here in the West, my observation is that people get all kinds of really interesting ideas about what awake people are supposed to look like and act like and sound like and smell like or whatever, (laughs) you know, and they're supposed to look and act and smell exactly like them, not like the guru, right? So that's one of the reasons it's been so hard to identify what awakening is really about because the guru claims to have their own awakening and the guru has their own, you know, unique personal issues and glitches or whatever, and just yeah. personality traits, right? So then everybody tries copying the guru's, you know, way of being, and it doesn't work for them. They're like, yeah, something's really out of whack here. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that was one of my original motivations for starting BatGap, as I was in this weekly sort of satsang that we did locally. There wasn't any one teacher. There's a bunch of people just chatting with each other, and many people were having awakenings, and many people would say, well... I had this profound awakening and then I told my friends, you know, hey, I, I'm witnessing sleep and um, I seem to be in this in pure consciousness 24-7 and, and so on. And, 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 you know, in other words, they're implying that they're enlightened in some way and they'd really get shot down. You know, the friends yeah. would say, well, that's Absolutely. impossible. You know, you're imagining it and you can't levitate and uh, you don't seem holy and, and mm-hmm. all that. So, so a, a lot of them would get, they just want to shut up and not talk yeah. about it. And um, so I thought, all right, well, all these people are having awakenings. 
and all these people, all these other people don't believe it. So I'm going to just start taking ordinary people and interviewing them and getting it out there so that people can see that it's happening to people just like them. And that might help them have yes. the same thing happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we drop the impossibly uh, idealistic standards about what awake people are supposed to be like, then I can say that, yeah, I personally am living in chapter 14. Mm -hmm. I crossed into singularity about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And that shift was really different from any other shift I've been through. And, you know, Carol and I are both Enneagram type sevens. And my observation is that Enneagram type sevens tend to go through a pretty kind of dramatic shifts in their process. Yeah. Other people like type nines kind of like slow and steady usually until mm -hmm. something pops. Mm -hmm. But um, basically I've been through all kinds of shifts my whole life and lots of ways in which I could say, wow, I'm awake. Wow. I'm even more awake. Now I'm even more awake. <laughs> you know, and after a while it's like, this is sounding redundant. Maybe it never stops. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like crossing into the singular phase was very palpable. And then a little, about half a year after that, that uh, 14, let me go back to the uh, model. You want to screenshot that? Yeah. yeah. Um, back, let me get this out of the way. Uh, over here at 14, we describe it as fluidity. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's all the, you know, and there's descriptions in every one of these uh, domains. But the fluidity is basically an experience of 24 by 7 flow absolute flow and the reason that it is so at least in my observation is because all fundamental resistance to life as it is is gone mm -hmm. <clears throat> and when that resistance is gone there's nothing in us to declare ourselves separate because that illusion of separation was really about oh i don't like it what do i do about it and there's this kind of like uh, automatic way of going into of living in the subject object perspective that's separating ourselves from it without even knowing it. Mm. But when you cross into singularity, singular. that's not possible. Yeah, singular. It's not possible anymore. So at that point, you just find yourself flowing with life as it is. And that flow becomes after a little while becomes the primary feature. Mm -hmm. Of that realization. Mm -hmm. This so chapter 15. I can't mm -hmm. say I'm living that. No, but that is our observation looking around us at the mm -hmm. other people who appears to have gone beyond. Mm -hmm. How about you, Kara? Would you say pretty much what he said? Pretty much what he said. Um, I'd probably oscillate a little bit more with twelve, thirteen. Mm -hmm. um, is what I've noticed. Yeah. And what about some of the kind of standard? You can unscreen share if you want. What what, okay. what about some of the standard uh, earmarks of higher states of consciousness, such as witnessing sleep or celestial perception? And, things like that. Um, do those fit into your models? And those, aren't, just, those aren't exclusive to any one spiritual <laughs> organization. You find references to them across many traditions. Yeah, yeah. You know, that is a question that I brought to a previous teacher, and uh, that teacher helped me understand something that I think I still agree with, and that is that the, the idea of witnessing sleep, yes, you can develop that. That's a sort of, I would consider that as sort of a, um, an advanced skill that some people will have the ability will naturally have that more mm -hmm. others will naturally have that less but that doesn't define what we mean by these various even the consciousness awakening it's like i've had lots of experience of all those things and i still do from time to time but it does not describe the stage it's mm -hmm. i think it describes a special skill 
that yeah. can so it's not be an developed. Acid, it's not an acid litmus test of any. No, no, that. not at all. And actually, you know, I, I, you know, I know a lot of healers as well, and it's the same thing. It's, it's just because you have a capacity to heal with certain, in certain modalities or you know, in certain ways, doesn't. Um, it's, it's a skill set that it might be yeah. that individual. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, and conversely, just, you know, so that he, being able to heal doesn't mean you're in a certain state of consciousness, Correct. but also being in a certain state of consciousness doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be able to heal. heal. Absolutely. It, exactly. It, exactly. It, it might've exactly. been a, a yeah, it might've been a skill that Jesus had or something, but right. uh, Jesus's brother who might've been equally enlightened <laughs> wouldn't necessarily have had that ability. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, the ability to see on a celestial level that again is very individual kind of thing. So the more you awaken, the more you're going to find yourself having specific experiences that to you are absolutely linked with awakening. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you step back and look at the model and understand the bigger context, it's like, no, that's just you, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to talk about because it, that that one really hangs up some people because they've been told that there's this this map that involves these specific things at each and every stage. And, and that these are like, yes. you know, verifiers that you've actually reached that stage. And if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're not having them, then you haven't reached that stage. And so people mm-hmm. figure, well, I'm nowhere because I'm not having this. Mm. Well, we have verifiers, if you will, or qualities that one would probably experience if they were at a certain stage or chapter of development, but they're not going to be specific to lucid dreaming or capacity to heal or anything like that. Right. Yeah. In fact, I just want to point out because there's a lot of people who are going to go when they're listening to this part of the conversation, they're going to go, Oh, these guys are just, they're not there. And that's why they're saying that that's why they made their map around their own thing. It's like, no, I don't think so. Because we're like, we're viewing thousands of people and we're telling you what our experience is and we're lining it up with the research. But anyway, there'd be a lot more to be said about that. Yeah, um, specific skills are going to show up for specific people. And it's not going to look like those things that we heard about when we were growing up because humanity's understanding of what this awakening process is about was really limited. Like when I was, you know, in school with Maharishi, Mm -hmm. there was sort of like, you know, the model was kind of like three or four stages. You could push it to five maybe. And it was like ignorant, enlightened, (laughs) like, oh, yeah, cosmic consciousness, Unity, you know, God consciousness, unity consciousness. And I asked Maharishi about what's beyond that. And he said, Krishna consciousness, mm. which is some sort of group realization, which actually mm. I think that's true. Mm. Um, but it's very low res, right? Now we have a, that's one of the things Carol and I have done is we have made this image, especially after chapter six, and especially down through the domains, we've made the picture very high res, which allows us to then test it with more and more accuracy. Yeah. I'm curious if there are any questions, Rick. I don't know if there are any questions. Um, Well, no one has sent in any yet. They can if they wish by going to the upcoming interviews page on batgap.com. And, you know, about verification, Ted, you know, as you were speaking earlier about EEG and all, it would, it would seem to me that there, there should really be some neurophysiological correlates to all these stages of development. And we may be a long way from having, instrumentation that's sophisticated enough to really measure them because we're mm-hmm. talking about very subtle shifts mm-hmm. in in consciousness and, mm-hmm. and experience and emotions and all kinds of things but hypothetically if we got to the stage where we had the technology to measure this stuff accurately there could be a kind of a physiological correlate for every little box on your grid we you know, hope we, so <laughs> yeah it may not happen in 
in our lifetimes, but we could get there. Yeah, and they're starting to see the, the um, you know, they're starting to see the comparison. I mean, there's, you know, definitely studies on gray matter in the brain um, based on how much one has been meditating. So there is, they are showing variations with that. So, yeah, we, we've got a long ways to go. The technology isn't quite there. Um, and the technology that is there is extremely expensive. So, yeah, our, our ultimate goal would be to be able to map all of that stuff, all the objective statistical type stuff to correlate with the subjective experience. Yeah. That gets it's, us, by the way, you know. It, it seems like it's a project that you could, it could become like, CERN, you know, trying to build, find the, the Higgs boson with the Large Hadron Collider. I mean, you could have a huge team of people working on this mm -hmm. in order to really nail down every little aspect of it. And, mm -hmm. you know, at this point, it's just you two guys. But, and, and, of course, other people elsewhere are doing all kinds of research and stuff. Yeah, but. by the way, um, you know, we could get lucky and find out that doing that research may not be quite as expensive or big as CERN. Mm -hmm. But we might find out that... Um, the kind of data that we can pull in through the process that we're creating on our website will allow us to start understanding correlations. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for instance, maybe in a couple of years when uh, EEG headsets become good enough and cheap enough to just like people, because everybody will have one, it'll just be part of something they're already wearing or whatever. Then we can start using the deep learning algorithms to understand these correlations without having to do an enormous project like that. Mm -hmm. The artificial intelligence We'll start understanding what's going on. Yeah. It's interesting to, to consider, though, how important is it to find the Higgs boson compared to how important is it to really understand human potential and human development and, you know, higher states of consciousness and which thing, if fully understood, will have the biggest impact on our world? Oof. Oof. Well, <laughs> you know, the way I would answer a question like that is to say they're all important and they're all happening simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah, but imagine yeah. if the I mean really even if you took the even if you took the resources from, you know, from CERN and allocated them to conscious development, I don't know if you could just throw money at it and have it all happen, but probably a lot more could be thrown at it and it would accelerate it and given the state of the world and uh, you know how all problems are really manifestations of human consciousness at whatever mm -hmm. stage it's at, mm -hmm. it would seem to me that that's that should be our prime our main priority. Well, and actually, you know, Ted and I are in the process right now of utilizing artificial intelligence to create basically a coach in your pocket so that our model will be the artificial intelligent avatar basically will be informed by our model to help guide people through this awakening process um, to mm -hmm. hopefully expedite it all over the world in a way that you don't need to sit down with a coach or somebody like mm -hmm. ourselves who have this experience that can guide you through the process, you know, one day at a time that you'll have access to that on a regular basis and access people from all over the world will have access to this. No matter where you are developmentally, if you can't afford certain things, I mean, some people can't even afford running water, but you know, if we can, if we can make this avatar accessible to everybody in the world, as you said, awaken consciousness, can you imagine how world problems will start to shift if that is accessible for everybody? So that's one of our big projects actually where, in the process of now is creating that avatar that people can have access to and basically in their pocket. Yeah. So there's really two, I just want to point out there's two projects there. One is um, for a while now, we've been working with a project called loving AI <clears throat> in which we are, um, we designed the dialogue for Sophia, the famous robot made by Hanson robotics. Who's, you know, on YouTube all the time and talking to major personalities. Mm -hmm. um, we were invited to design the dialogue to help people awaken through the robot. And uh, they just did their first test. They're, they're going for another test soon, but their first test, 
had some really incredible results. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you'll start seeing maybe in the next month or less, some we'll put on our site under about media, we'll start showing some of the results of that test. But some people were having experiences of transcendence yeah. more easily and more directly because it was a robot and not a person. Yeah, which I was pretty skeptical, to be honest, Rick. I was pretty skeptical about the capacity for a robot to really help awaken people. Um, you know, there's, there's something about sitting with somebody in person, uh, transmission, that in my experience is incredibly powerful. Um, uh, I mean, my whole dissertation was basically on how the coach identifies themselves and the transformative possibilities then um, that are in the space for the client to, to change. And so, you know, having a robot, um, I was really concerned that would this robot be able to hold some kind of a conscious space for a human being to really be invited into awakening. Um, and the results so far are staggering. And actually people are, there was a book that was written um, by Jamie Wheel recently, I think, uh, Stealing Fire. And in there, he talks a little bit about people that are coming back from war and they have the option between a robot therapist or an avatar therapist and a live therapist. And people are even choosing more and more the avatar um, for various reasons that they're doing some research on now. And so there, there is actually a demand and a, and a need and a desire for mm-hmm the avatar for the robots and not that, mm. not that humans are not going to be chosen ever again anymore. I mean, I'm a coach myself and I love what I'm doing. I, right. you know, so it puts me out of a job just as much as it puts <laughs> all the therapists out of a job, but there are going to be plenty of people that, that still want that live person. But I mean, so far, statistically speaking, people are really leaning towards this avatar. Um, so it's interesting to way. see how technology is really supporting this movement to awaken the world. Yeah. And I don't, by the way, see this put in any, coaches out of a job <laughs> any more than you know having all kinds of knowledge that doctors have at their fingertips these days they're not out of a job they just go you know when you're sitting with a doctor these days they're just on their computer you know filling out forms getting information on the internet and stuff like that mm-hmm. that that could be part of what goes on at least a portion of it so i don't think it's going to put people out of a job quite the well opposite. I, I, Actually, I shouldn't have said that i was kind of it, being yeah, yeah. But, you know, in a way, I think it's going to likely be the opposite. More and more people have access to systems like this that will help them awaken and realize that there are portions of the process where they really need human support. Yeah. And chances are robots, robots aren't going to end up getting arrested for sleeping with their clients and losing their licenses and stuff. So <laughs> That's there's true. that. Right. Or you, could, you could just decommission them and, you know, make them build cinder black walls. <laughs> right. <laughs> So a while ago, you were showing us in the chart, you were sh- showing us a particular stage, and then you, you, know, you click on teachers, and we saw Adyashanti and Byron Katie and stuff like that. Is your thing largely a referral service, in a sense, or do you yourself have a whole collection of techniques and practices that you would uh, yeah. teach people directly? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we, we will be populating this with as much content and information we have access to with all of our background and everything. And we'll be opening it to anybody who wants to dump some things in there and let the cream of the crop rise to the top. Um, we'll also be, our current plan is to, we're going to be starting to contact a lot of these teachers and saying, hey, if, if you want, we will put your name in here and we'd just love to advertise you and you know get people to where they really need to be. And if they want to come to a retreat from you, they can come find a retreat from you. In exchange, just, you know, put our website somewhere on there and they can find us so that there's just kind of an exchange. Let's all help each other find each other. 
so that's kind of our current plan. How logistically that will work out, we'll see, but that's kind of the, the general direction right now. We'll also have some of our own content on that, and that's going to oh, grow yeah. over the years. Because yeah. one of the things we did was we created our own software that give us the, gives us the ability to have guided interactions with people through audio, video, text, graphics, and buttons. So we just, you know, like it is on the site. In fact, I, if I, I don't think I could do it right now, but basically we'll, we could paste in uh, an interaction that would happen that you can actually go and do right now. Just go over to iConscious.global and what's going to happen is a box will pop up and take over most of your screen and it'll engage you in this interaction. Right now, the interaction it's engaging you in is helping you understand our system and tour the various pieces that we're offering. And then you can sign up for this or that. But after you've gotten into the system, you're going to start seeing uh, interactive courses pop up that you could just click on, pay a few bucks, and take the thing. Yeah. So it'll be both that and other people's resources at the same time. I just wanted to make a comment on what Carol said about contacting the teachers, which is that you could even give them a questionnaire that would make it a lot easier for you to fit them into your model because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you may not know everything about them, you know? Yeah, that's very true. That's yeah. a great idea. We just have the, uh, the form online and it automatically puts them in. Yeah. yeah. A question that. came in from Jared in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, he's at, and we've kind of covered this, but I think there's an opportunity for elaboration here. He's asking, where would things like Kundalini and other mystical experiences fit into your model? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, thanks for asking that, Jared. And I think, you know, I want to hear what Carol has to say too, but I would just say that um, Kundalini openings can happen at almost any point in the process. You know, Carol had something going on recently that really was pretty major. You probably want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that they, they're more like state experiences. They're, they're always temporary, right? You never heard of anybody who had a Kundalini opening that never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a state, it's something is opening, something is shifting, some new energy is flooding the system. You know, the word Kundalini can cover all kind, a huge range of description of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but one way or the other, I would call that a state experience and it will integrate. And the energy that you experienced in that state, it's sort of like a vision of the future. You will eventually experience that kind of ease and flow and openness. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you're getting there and this, that experience tells you you're on the right direction. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us about your Kundalini experience? Karen? Well, I, I mean, I could, I don't know that that's the direction I really want to go today. I mean, just in general, there was an experience of just multiple actually over the course of a week. Um, one was more in the head region. One was definitely more in the heart and the other was definitely from my gut. And so there were just different openings and different cleaning outs is what it felt like and processing and coming up and, and, you know, integrating into the whole. And so I think those, I agree with Ted, I think those can happen at any stage of development. And like anything else, they don't always, you know, happen in a certain place, but they're often a part of a lot of people's experiences. So um, it doesn't necessarily tell you what chapter you're in. Um, They're more state experiences that can really place anywhere on the model. You know, and people who don't have these big experiences, you know, often look at people who do and go, oh, gosh, I wish I had that. Yeah. You know, and then they're like, oh, I guess I'm not there yet. And, you know, and you know, what's really interesting about that is I have had so many interviews with people who actually have had all kinds of major stabilized awakening shifts, but they're still comparing themselves to people who are more highly developed because the guru says you have to have this or that. 
Mm. So when I just go, you know, I think I would put you at chapter nine based on what I'm feeling and everything we've, you've said in the interview, sometimes what happens is they go, right, I had that shift back in 1997 mm-hmm. or whatever it was, mm-hmm. but nobody validated it. Mm. And when you validate it, they can own it and embody it. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point, Ted. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Ted and I actually had a chapter called Owning. Um, because there was such a big pattern that people would have these openings, but there wasn't a, a yes, I've had this. There's kind of a, um, uh, a humble element, or I don't even know what it is, where people just didn't want to claim that they've had this experience. And, and when you claim that experience, it, it drops in in a deeper way that is important for one's continued development to be able to own that, recognize it, and fully embody it. That's interesting about validation because it's been said traditionally in some circles that you do need a guru to validate your experience. Otherwise, there's going to be some final doubts, which will prevent you from completely owning it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like you're developing a system which can kind of uh, systematize or automate that validation. Mm -hmm. It, It will certainly help. But I want to say that there's an element here that's about being human mammals. Because mammal creatures are always, you know, when they come out of when they're born, first thing they do is like look at their mom and go like, how do I be? <laughs> and then they just start templating on mom. That's how to be. I'm going to be like mom. And that's just natural part of the process. So another part of this is that you can have all kinds of subjective illuminations, awakenings, and shifts, but that doesn't mean you know what that means from a larger systemic perspective okay, I had this big experience, something shifted, it appears to be permanent, but what is it? Mm. You got to talk to somebody who knows what that is, or at least a robot or some, you know, something in our system, perhaps, that will help you understand, oh, yeah, you just have like a, you know, a chapter seven consciousness awakening. It's great. It's awesome. You're going in the right direction, but don't think that's the highest anything, right? It's just where you are. But we can confirm, based on everything you're telling us, yeah, chapter seven awakening or whatever it is. And I think that's a hugely important part of the process. Another thing, I just the thread of the conversation about the Kundalini awakening, even Kundalini experts like Joan Harrigan and others will tell you that there are an, almost an infinite variety of ways in which Kundalini can rise and work its way through the system. Mm-hmm. It can go off on, on little tangents and sidetracks and mm-hmm. or it can go straight up or it can mm-hmm. get stuck here and all that. Mm-hmm. So that, it, it, that can give rise to a, almost infinite variety of experiences and it, it can also be real flashy or it can be mm-hmm. so quiet that you don't even know anything's happening. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so anyone listening to this, you know, if you're reading, if you're reading literature or, or things online about Kundalini awakenings, never compare yourself mm-hmm. to somebody else, not, mm-hmm. not only with Kundalini, but with any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it can be very confusing. Yeah, and I actually, I'm so glad you brought that up, Rick. Like, it's just so important to just honor where you are and not compare, you know, where you think you should be or to somebody else. The sooner you can just love where you are, actually, the quicker you will probably move through your process. Yeah, I mean, if my standard answer if somebody asks me if I'm awakened is I say, well, I'm more awake than I used to be and less awake than I will be, God willing, you know? There you go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, because as soon as you put up like any kind of a model, people will go, well, that's the goal over there. And then they're like over there seeking that goal and they're not being here attending to what's happening right here. Yeah. Which is, that's the real fire of transformation. If you Mm -hmm. want Kundalini, 
be here now <laughs> in yeah. all your, your whole body, your emotions, your body, all domains. Yeah, that's important. I mean, and some people say, you know, give up the search and all that. And my attitude is if you have the kind of, if you have the understanding that like you say, with your, your 17th chapter, who knows where it goes from here. If you have the understanding that this is a sort of a never ending adventure or progression, then you don't really sweat too much about whether you've reached this or that or the other stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm fine where I am and I'm just going to keep on trucking yeah. and, uh, and we'll see where it unfolds. But it's, and also it helps to kind of have in mind the, the notion that, you know, this whole process doesn't end with the death of this body. Mm -hmm. it, if you can really take a long view, uh, then you just keep on moving along, doing the best you can, you know? And, yeah, and, and you know, to, uh, to speak to your, like, seeking, you know, you can't stop seeking even if you tried. If there's yeah, if you're seeking, energy you're seeking. There, yeah. Exactly. exactly. You can't just stop. You'll just, the energy is still here to do that, and you will do that until you don't. You know, and there's yeah, and, wrong yeah. with and if someone tells you you should, and then you find that you're tending not to, then, then that's only going to make it more complicated yeah, for you. Exactly. Yeah. And by the way, that whole seeking impulse is absolutely natural and good and necessary and right. Mm -hmm. It's it's our own being trying to find all of itself, mm -hmm. all yeah. of our parts, the whole context. How do I be all of who I am? That's the seeking impulse. Why would you want that to stop? I also think that there's an a, an, an evolutionary impulse intrinsic to the nature of the universe exactly and the, the seeking impulse is that being reflected within us right it's just that the seeking impulse i just want to point out that the seeking impulse has its own trajectory of evolution mm -hmm. you know when we're down in the dual phase it tends to start peaking around chapter six when we're getting to the point where it's like there's more i know there's more i'm looking for it and then it's that's the infinite at that point that they're looking for but then when you realize the infinite after a while, you get pretty sick of seeking it. So then the seeking impulse is actually prompting you to seek the other parts you haven't fully discovered or, or embraced. And then when you fundamentally fall into that unity awakening and you're like here in your body and you're very deeply present, but it's not all integrated yet, the seeking impulse turns into how do I get this all integrated? How do I sort out all these issues that I haven't ever been able to fully get to the bottom of? And frankly, you can't until you're at least in chapter nine. You just, you don't have enough wholeness, wellness, and stillness in all circumstances to deal with all possible healings that you need to go through. Mm. So, so the seeking will just keep getting out. Now that, you know, when you get into the singular phase, the seeking becomes, it isn't really seeking at that point. Actually, no. I have to say, it's not seeking. No. It doesn't yeah. feel like that from the no. inside. It's just no. being what is. But it's a very interesting point, which is that the very that that energy or that impulse or that natural tendency um, morphs into different things over different stages. You know, it it, it sort of it might not even be recognizable uh, if you compare the you know this stage to that stage. But it's the very same energy that's just sort of taking a different form and so like some kind of cosmic vacuum cleaner that's just moving around and wherever the the next you know dirt is, it it goes there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the, uh, you know, the universal impulse of evolution for yeah. all individuals and for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Covered that point. So what else do we want to cover in our remaining time? I, we... I think we've actually kind of done it. I'm, 
Is there anything else, Carol, you want to bring? No, not necessarily specifically. I'm just wondering if there are any other questions from people that we could answer specifically that, you know, Ted and I talk about this stuff all the time. So sometimes we, you know, brush over certain topics or we're not as clear and detailed as we could be. So I'm just curious if there are any areas that would be helpful for us to clarify. Well, if there are, then people should send them in quickly because we won't be going too much longer. Got it. Um, you know that there was that movie in the in the '60s or something called Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice. Irene was saying we should call this Rick, Carol, Ted, and Bat Gap or something. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you sent me a, you sent me a thing here, Ted. Let me see if we got all this. Let me read these through and see if there's anything we haven't covered. Our big vision: what led us to create the model JFK course, the need to go digital, loving AI project. We kind of gotten that. The LIA startup your offerings, GSA and treasury, blah, blah, purpose, mission, vision. Um, yeah, I think that, I think I, I have one thing to say from that list mm-hmm. and that is, yeah. Um, if anybody wants to, you know, is interested and wants to be supportive of our startup, um, we're in the planning stages right now. We have a kind of a stellar team of founders that we're, you know, it's Carol and I and a couple other people. Mm-hmm. And we have a tremendous amount of support from worldwide community of people who are involved with um, the same kinds of things we are. Artificial intelligence and how it gets applied to consciousness and human evolution. So there's going to be, pretty soon we'll start going around holding meetings, trying to get some investment. And uh, if this is something that you, you you or any of your friends believe in and want to help us, just go send us an email. Go to the website, send us an email and let us know. There's one question I thought of earlier when I was preparing for this interview, and um, we've kind of covered it, but I think it would be worth asking, which is that, you know, since you've been so immersed in developing this map, you kind of live and breathe it, I'm sure. But do you find that you've automatically, when you listen to a particular spiritual teacher, it just kind of comes to you where he or she would fit into the map? Or not necessarily even teacher, spiritual yeah. you know, person reporting an experience. Oh, they're, they're, they go right about there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that, Rick. Yeah. And I do it with my clients all the time. It's just kind of co- information that comes in. It's just kind of digitally, internally kind of landing in certain places and then, you know, coaching from that place immediately, you know, based on what, what I'm seeing or feeling. And yeah, the model really, and Ted and I have talked about this, it really lives in both of us in a way that, yeah, what it, whether it's coaching or whether it's interactions with other teachers or interactions with other people in general, the model is really alive in both of us and how we, how we see and how we coach and how we interact. One interesting thought that I just had is that with teachers, especially if they become more popular uh, and start attracting bigger audiences, there's the problem of just speaking to a crowd, not really having the time to give individual attention and actually trying to address people at a whole range of different yeah. stages of development in one presentation. And they're kind of stuck there because they're never going to be able to give the individual attention that people need, you know, and you can still get tremendous inspiration from such people. Even people at various stages might be hearing the very same talk and hearing different things, but getting inspiration from it. But it's nice that you have something that could actually give customized, tailored attention. Absolutely. And, you know, one pattern I have noticed with students and um, clients of mine is people do tend to find who they need 
when they need them on their path. So, you know, for instance, I found Byron Katie, you know, 10 years ago when it was like just so perfectly appropriate for where I was. It just spoke to me at that time. And her work was just perfect for my level of development at that time. And I'd say it was the same thing with every teacher that I bumped into along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there is kind of a naturalness and organicness to finding the right teacher at the right time. And, you know, we're dropping these teachers in the right places that people can find them probably a little bit quicker than... Um, than the way Ted and I found people to support our process. Yeah. You know, back in, I just want to add something. Back in uh, 1996, I think it was, you know, I had spent years going to um, teachers who were sitting on stages proclaiming absolute truth. And uh, right around 1996, it's like I started rotting out of that. Mm-hmm. I got to the place where it's like, yeah, I can't do that anymore. That's just me personally, right? I needed somebody who could give me individual attention and, and customized help to get where I needed to go. And I went and found a teacher and I got the help I needed and it worked. And that was a wonderful thing. So we're not really putting down any teachers or any system or any approach to any of these things. We're saying it's all necessary at different points in the process. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ultimately, we're, gonna, we're building an artificially intelligent agent that will deal with each person in an incredibly specific individual way, finding out who they are, like we do when we're working with people, and giving them what, we, what they need. But it'll be better than any teacher could possibly be because the idea is it'll have the information from all the teachers and traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like what Google was doing with all the information on the planet. We let's just index the whole thing and make it available in the right way for mm-hmm. what people need and want. That's exactly what we're doing for Awakening. Yeah. Let me say about three things to that before I forget them all. And I think Carol wants to say something. But, you know, one is that people shouldn't feel guilty about moving from teacher to teacher because, you you, you know, teachers have a certain range of applicability or relevance. And you may you may hit up against the limit of that range and actually need something else. And it's good to be loyal and it's good not to be a dilettante. But on the other hand, you might need to move on and you shouldn't agonize over it. You can, uh, you know, I really appreciated my second grade teacher, Mrs. Heffernan. She was really nice. But then I had other ones in the later grades that I also really liked. (laughs) Exactly. Well said, Rick. Well said. Oh, and let me quickly add to that. Like if you Mm -hmm. find yourself agonizing over it, embrace that. Yeah. And the second point I want to make is that I've encountered teachers who themselves are gotten, have gotten rotted out, as you put it, of the hierarchical arrangement. Um, like, for instance, I interviewed Raphael Kushner uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was saying how you know, he did satsangs for a while and just got so uncomfortable with sitting on a, a stage in, in any way elevated above everybody in the audience. Susanna Marie is that way, too. She just would really yeah. prefer kind of a circular kind of a, an arrangement. And... Um, I'm not sure if I remember what the third point is. I knew I wouldn't be able to remember them all, but maybe Carol has or something. Let me me just say something to what you just said. And that is that um, um, some people are going to be designed to sit on a stage. And that's just because that's what they're here to do. But I can say for myself. I just remember my third point. Let me just say it. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) And that was that it doesn't have to be an either or situation. It can be both ends. I mean, you can, I like to go and see Ama, you know, once a year and big, big, big scene. So you can you can go for the group thing and derive benefit from it, but you can also simultaneously get the individualized attention you may need. Okay, yeah. go go back to what you were saying. So I just want to say, yeah, I think there's different reasons why teachers, you know, end up at a place where they maybe no longer want to sit on the stage and do that. I, I've done that, 
in the prior work I was in, I was doing a heck of a lot of teaching work, mm -hmm. sometimes 40 hours a week for, you know, years. And after a while, I, I was forced through a series of healings that were really all about my sort of two-year-old need to be acknowledged for who I am. You know, it's like, yeah, Ted, you are good enough. And you know, once I finally got to that place where it's like, I got that thing fed that needed to get fed, that part of me that needed that acknowledgement, it's like I didn't care anymore. After that, it's like, doesn't matter. You know, if I sit down, I kind of don't really like sitting on the stage that much. Mm. I've got that part, you know, that the five wing in me that's like, ooh, that's a little much. I also like it at the same time, but I have no particular interest ever since I went through that transformation, and I don't seek that at all. But there will still be people who are very deeply evolved, and they're designed to be sitting on a stage and give their teaching that way. Yeah, and, that's and, the could, comes and their popularity yeah. is such that they couldn't really do it on a one-to-one -one basis or anything. Right, right. And you know, right. you know, I'm a one-to-one -one coach. I think it's one of my gifts. And other people are much better on a big stage with 500 people. I can do that, and I do do that. And I notice that my skill sets are in the smaller, you know, the smaller places. So there's no right or wrong as to how a teacher shows up, you know, whether they're one-on-one -on -one or big group or, or there are plenty of ordinary awakened people that are software developers for Google, you know, <laughs> that, that they're not, they're not, you know, advertising as anything. They're chop wood, carry water. They do their thing. They have a skill set, and they're living in the world from that skill set from an awakened space. And I think that we are going to see a heck of a lot more of that um, in time to come. That it's not every yes. being's job to go out and teach awakening. It's just not. They will be, right, yeah. you know, they will be, a, you know, at the gas pump, basically, and yeah. uh, pumping gas. Well, if it were every, every awakened being's job to do that, we pretty soon wouldn't have anybody to do all the other things in the world exactly. that need to be done. You know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> We'd all just be sitting around <laughs> contemplating our navels. And <laughs> right. It was really just that whole thing was sort of an inheritance from the, the time in humanity's development yeah. when awakening wasn't that prominent. You know, it yeah. would happen to somebody once in a while. They're like, wow, this incredible thing happened. And everybody else was like, tell me how to do that. And so, but that's not what's going on right now. People are awakening all, in all kinds of ways all yeah. over the place. And yeah. like Carol said, it's just going more into the ordinary. Yeah. 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 Here's an interesting question that came up from Matteo in Carpi, Italy. Um, he's asking if you know about Jeffrey Martin's work. And the reason mm -hmm. I find that interesting is that Jeffrey has been trying to do something kind of similar. He's got a whole sure. map that he's worked out and he's trying to do neurophysiological research to go along with it and so on. So mm -hmm. have you collaborated with Jeffrey at all? You know, I met Jeffrey, I was aware of his work about three years ago and kind mm -hmm. of followed him, you know, uh, for a while. And actually I met Jeffrey Martin in person about four or five months ago in Shanghai, China. We were both speaking at a conference, uh, right. yeah. technology. And uh, I made a point to have lunch with him one day and mm -hmm. probably three or four hours later, we walked, we walked away from lunch and, um, just really enjoyed my conversation with him and the overlaps and the curiosities on both ends and what we're, each of us are discovering. And, um, there are some similarities. There are some differences. You know, I think one of the biggest differences is Jeffrey primarily focuses on consciousness where we focus on an integrated model, including all five domains, not just primarily the consciousness awakening. And there are, there are other similarities and differences, but you know, there, there are plenty of similarities with his work. And I, I love following his work because he is coming at it more from a, you know, he's a scientist and a researcher and, and I deeply respect him and his work. Um, and I, I'm sure he and I will, 
we, Ted and I will, will stay in touch with him. And perhaps, you know, by the time we were done, we both were just curious how we're going to end up collaborating at some point. Um, so yeah. we'll see. Um, by the way, I just want to mention there's a potential uh-huh. interesting collaboration we explored. They're working on some platform for uh, gaming and human development, and uh, we might participate. That'd be fun. Yeah, um, we're basically re- regarding. About- well, regarding Jeffrey, I've interviewed him, so people can look that up if they oh, want okay. to. And, and I just wanted to say, while we're still on the topic of him, it's kind of interesting because his model, as I understand it, uh, obviously there's a lot more I could understand, kind of gets you, w- before you go through too many stages, you're not going to be able to function in the world. And mm-hmm. he actually even talks about sort of coming back down to a lower stage so you can sure. function. Sure. And I kind of had problems with that. I, f- I mean, there obviously have been examples like Ramana Maharshi or whoever didn't, probably couldn't hold down a job. <laughs> I mean, he's just very high up there, but not in any kind of worldly capacity. But I really wonder, I, I kind of idealistically at least think that one should be able to integrate to the point where you could have all kinds of responsibilities and practical mm-hmm. you know, things, and yet be in a very highly developed state. In fact, you, you should be much better at functioning in the world if things are properly integrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, without specifically knowing what he said or what the context was, I would say it sounds like that was his way of talking about the same thing we're saying, which is, you know, if you're not developed in your body domain very much and your consciousness is way out there somewhere, there's going to be this bungee effect. You have to come back to your body. The universe is going to keep poking you until you do. For those listeners that don't know Jeffrey's work, and, and I don't claim to speak too detailed for his work, but he primarily has four locations and he calls them locations because he doesn't feel they're linear, that you don't have to go from one to the other to the other, that you can land in location three as your primary kind of awakening. Yeah. And you can go back to two and then you can jump to four and four is kind of like the non, more the non-functional um, and non-heart feeling. I've heard you know stories about that, that people want to at least go back to three so that people can actually feel love for their child and actually care for their child. Yeah, that's what um, he was saying. So, yeah, so there's these four locations, and that's a little different. Ted and I, our system is not necessarily that you're bouncing all over the place like that and choosing areas like that. And I also know after his fourth location, there were another series of locations. Oh, I think he goes up into the 20s, actually. Yeah. I, asked, I asked him about that, and he said you, you have a light body or something. But I just think that ideally the very best of any location would be carried into subsequent ones. And that, you know, you could be way high up on the scale and it wouldn't diminish your feeling for your children or any, yeah. any other capacity that you right. might. You right. Know. So our model is more transcend and include. So you can go from chapter three and when you go from three to four, it includes one, two and three. And you go to five, exactly. it includes one, two, three and four. It's not transcend and chop off, you know, it's trans. Right. And then come back and figure out what you left. Yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that would possibly be a little bit different than than his system as well. Yeah, and so apologies to Jeffrey for not doing justice to his system here. We may not be, and he might have good answers to the points we're making here, but mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't want to mischaracterize it. No, not right. at all. Right. Yeah. So we're, we've been going on for quite a while. No more questions have come in. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say, boy, of kind of wrap up and conclusion? Well, I just want to say thank you for having us on, you know, allowing us to share what we're up to with your audience. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate that. And really appreciate your questions, especially your perspective, because you're not 
you know, like another spiritual seeker who's just like doing their thing, trying to figure out what you're out there interviewing all these teachers. So you have an enormous perspective on what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that really informs all your questioning and how you're holding it. And I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks. So in terms of practical steps, if people are interested in finding out more, they should just go to your website, which I'll be linking to from your page on batgap.com. And, um, if it's not clear to them what they should do when they get there, that there's a contact thing. I'm sure they can get in touch with yeah, you and sure. sign up, sign up for an email notification thing or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Right. And if it's not clear, we haven't done our job and we'll be constantly working on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are, it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's a yeah. work in progress. You know, we just are, we're just now launching the guided self-assessment and in a month, in a, in a month we'll be launching the treasury service. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're just like sort of at the end of this long marathon and now we can go back to the website and go, okay, what's working? You know, what's not clear? What do we got to fix? But that's, that's where we're at. Okay, great. So thanks. Let me just make a couple of wrap-up points. Um, just that as most people watching this will know, this is an ongoing series. It's been going on for years, and hopefully it will continue to. If you are somewhat new to it, then go to bathgap.com. You can check out all the previous interviews. You can sign up to be notified by email of, of new ones as they're released. You can sign up to get onto the audio podcast on various platforms such as iTunes and Stitcher and, and Android devices and all, and uh, a bunch of other things. Just explore the menus and you'll see what's going on. Also, the upcoming interviews menu is the place you'd want to go if you'd like to watch these live and submit questions because each week there's a, a live stream link you can click on and you can watch it. And it also says when when they're scheduled and everything. Okay? Great. Okay. Great. Thank you. So see you all next week. My next guest will be Cynthia Bourgeau, who is a mystic and Episcopal priest or minister, an expert in the field of centering prayer, which was Mm -hmm. developed by Thomas Keating, whom I've also interviewed. So I'll see you then maybe. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. Take care.